0: You're listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast with Andrew Schumacher. Beginning of Wisdom seeks to engage in theology and apologetics in the sight of God.
1: You can learn more at beginningwisdom.org. Welcome to the Beginning of Wisdom Live. I'm Andrew Schumacher. Tonight, we are in part four of our series uh, responding to Justin Best of Christian Truthers and his rejection of Paul. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into some good stuff tonight. Um, So just to give you kind of a recap. So we've done... Three, The last three episodes have been on this subject, and um, just to kind of recap what we've done up to this point, um, we've kind of divided up. He he put out two videos that were called 50 Reasons to Never Quote Paul Again, um, and we looked at those, we, we've been looking at those 50 things, uh, 50 items on a list, and really, Divided them up into really four categories. In the first video, we talked about um, how some of those arguments, and, and really a lot of them, um, even the ones some we're going to talk about today, fall into a category of being self-refuting uh, in the fact that they depend on quoting acts in order to show a disagreement between Paul and, and something recorded in Acts. But at the same time, Acts is is very pro-Paul. Probably, you know, uh, yeah, much of the whole book is is just discussing Paul's journeys and his successes in uh, bringing the gospel to the world. Um, So that was our first video. Our second episode was sort of a grab bag of statements that were either, you know, completely false on their face uh, just made up speculation on Justin's part or, or really nothing more than his opinion, um, not actual arguments um, or reasons to reject Paul. Uh, the third part was last week and we talked about how Justin depends on a lot of liberal scholarship. Um, he just basically takes the opinions of unbelievers uh, as you know as long as they're against Paul and is is cool with those. Um, and so we talked about just the inconsistency. Uh, that you find there when that when when you're doing that kind of thing, uh, so discussed that last week. So this week we're on um, the fourth part, and this will probably take more than one episode to get through. And that, but that is the fourth and final category, and that is where Justin is trying to appeal to other parts of Scripture, um, basically other than Acts, um, to. To try to attempt to discredit Paul, uh, to try to show that he is in in violation of other passages. Um, now you can subdivide that into a few different categories as well, and and I've done that in what I'm going to discuss. So things kind of have a good flow. Uh, the first is that Paul is a lawbreaker, so uh, that um, and specifically that's that he breaks the laws of the Torah and the commands of Jesus. Um, the second is basically sneaky denunciations, uh, passages that he tries to put forward as other apostles, other authors of scripture, rejecting Paul. And then the third type is basically just simple contradictions, uh, passages that just seem to contradict that Paul could be an apostle. Um, now, we'll probably what we'll probably be able to get to tonight is, is all of the Supposed lawbreaker passages, and then we'll get to some stuff. I believe we'll get to some things that relate to supposed denunciations of of Paul by other apostles and other writings. Um, the uh, and we'll and we'll uh, yeah, we'll get to some of those as well. I think. So that's that's what we have to look forward to tonight. Um, lots of stuff. Lots of stuff to to go through. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and get that stuff pulled up. Um, All right, so go ahead and shift one thing here. Okay, so uh, the first item is uh, basically, um, and I don't know what number this was on his ultimate list because I've got these all divided up and renumbered, but he had one item that said Paul didn't obey the Messiah's Matthew teachings. Now, the fact is, in the video, Justin really just glosses over this item. He references the Sermon on the Mount at one point. It's really hard to know what he means. If he's talking about Matthew 5, then I would refer you to um, my blog at, at beginningwisdom.org and go to the Hebrew Roots section. I've got a section there on Matthew 5 and you know, just really refuting a, a lot of the arguments that are made by those in the Hebrew Roots movement. About Matthew 5. Um, But he doesn't really go into it, you know, so if he he doesn't really talk about what Matthew teachings he's referring to, so I'm not gonna refute what he never said. So on to the next one. Uh, The next one, he said, Paul tried to discredit Peter and shared his grievance with him openly in a letter, and then it says Matthew 18 not followed. So this is about when, uh, when Paul talks about confronting Peter in Galatians, uh, I'm going to go ahead and actually pull that section
0: up in his video. Here. And we will we'll see what, what he actually has to say about it. So go ahead and listen into that.
2: Let's see. Matthew 18. All right. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Praise Yah. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Hey, what a novel idea that everything be established by two or three witnesses. Um, you know, just because Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books, it doesn't mean that you have 13 different witnesses to his doctrine. It's all just one witness. It's all just coming from the same one person. So that's another side note.
1: So I do want to make a, a comment about this side note. Um, this was one of his other points that he uh, that he discussed in the general, you know, this idea of two or three witnesses. Um, this is... Uh, You'll notice that there's a shift in in what he said He said he read the passage you know um which says if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established on by the evidence of two or three witnesses that's from the torah that uh it's it's interesting um how much how many times I hear you know people in in this movement talking about you know, accusing people of all sorts of, of wrongdoing on the on the testimony of no witnesses. Um, but that's that's a side note. But that's that's you go to the Torah, every time it talks about two or three witnesses, it is talking about an accusation of wrongdoing of sin against a person, and so is this. But what did Justin say? Well, Justin changed it and he said that everything must be established on two or three witnesses. Um that's a problem because you know that's the scripture never says that and it, it certainly never says that about doctrine and and teaching and you know the that kind of thing. Um so it again it, it's a side note he's it's a side note for him but it's it's a side note of him just uh not uh, not being you know, of of twisting and changing the words of scripture uh, to try to make this this concept of the uh, you know establishing a charge on the basis of two two or three witnesses to now doctrine has to be established on two or three witnesses uh, but that's that's not hard to do either um
0: but anyway we we uh, let him go on here we've got a, a few more things to say I apologize. I did not bring up the video itself. That might be important. Go. Here we are.
2: Paul had privately quietly tried to correct Peter, um, first by himself and then with two or three brothers. And then if Peter still was like, no, no, I'm going to continue in sin. No, I'm not going to listen to you. Then they would have been obligated, unfortunately, to share it with the church that they have someone who's going astray, right? Uh, And if he won't even listen to the church, then just treat him like a Gentile and a tax collector. Just like he's gone. He's out of the church. He's no longer part of the commonwealth of Israel because he refuses to repent, right? So... How then is it appropriate for Paul to write a letter, letting the whole world know that he rebuked Peter to his face? It doesn't seem like Paul was uh, remorseful and regret, you know, regrettable about the fact that he has to. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to inform you, but I have to tell you. Unfortunately, we tried to correct Peter. We did it humbly. We took some brothers.
1: Okay, so I'm going to stop him there. Um, basically, so Uh, because I want to focus in again on this, this other thing that, you know, he, again, he's, he's given us lots of his opinions. He's reading scripture, but then what he says about it doesn't seem to connect up very well. Um, first he, he reads the scripture about every charge being established. And then he says, everything must be established. And then he says, you know, that when Paul says, I, I rebuked him to his face and, and notice his tone, I rebuked him to his face, you know, like, like, as if Paul had got some sort of glee out of this and he doesn't seem very remorseful. Well, number one, what does Matthew 18 have to say about being remorseful or regretful or something about, about that? It, It doesn't mention it. So again, who's, who's ignoring Matthew 18? Um, and the, the fact is, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't say that number one. Um, and number two, and there's a couple couple things going on here. Number one, doesn't say anything about remorse. Num- number two, there's, you know, Matthew 18 is, is quite clearly about pers- interpersonal sin or, or private sin. You know, something that isn't known to everybody. Um, it's, it's not about public sin or false teaching. Um, the, the sin that Paul talks about Peter doing is something Peter's doing in public that is sending a terrible message related to the gospel and, and Jews and Gentiles and all that. And so he, he confronts him to his face. But, um, you know, the, the fact is that, you know, the, Paul isn't even the, the only one who rebukes Peter publicly um and he's not certainly not the first uh if we go to
0: you know the scriptures here Matthew 16 here's what we find in verse 21 it says from
1: that time on Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid, Lord, this will not happen. This will never happen to you. But he turned around and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a cause for stumbling to me because you are not intent on the things of God, but the things of people. So Jesus has no problem rebuking Peter. Um, and, and doing so, you know, it says aside, but it doesn't say necessarily in private. Um, this this all happens. We, we went over this passage uh, related to Easter, and, um, you know, it all happens just in sequence. There There's no point at where they're all, you know, they're not together, at least from the passage. So, you know, Jesus does it. So what's the problem? Jesus rebuked lots of people uh, publicly. So... You know, Peter rebuked people publicly. There, there's no prohibition against doing that. Um, again, Matthew 18 is is very much abused by people who who teach falsehood because they want to try to hide behind it and not be confronted on their error. Um, also, um, you know, and that's you know the idea that the sin, if the sin is public, the rebuke must be public. That's pretty plain. But you know what? Let's just pretend for a moment that Justin's right, that Paul should have talked to Peter privately first before doing anything public. Um, The fact is, again, Justin's just speculating that that didn't happen. Paul doesn't say, when I saw Peter doing this, I immediately rebuked him in public. Maybe he did rebuke him in private, and when Peter wouldn't change, then Paul rebuked him in public. Now, I don't think that happened, but again, he's making things up again that aren't in the scriptures to try to make Paul look as bad as he can. Um, There's there's just no evidence for, you know, all of the really necessary premises for all of his arguments are things that he made up. You know, there, there's, okay, we have the scriptures, they give us this much information, not enough to really make a case, but then he speculates some things that if that was true, wow, that's a really bad case against Paul. And every time it, if you didn't have that stuff that he's just speculating about, you don't have a case. So again, where's where's uh, where's Justin's two or three witnesses against Paul that Paul did this rebuke in any kind of any kind of sinful way? Number one, that. That no pub, there's no such thing as as a public rebuke for a public sin, uh, which many scriptures refute. Or number two, that that uh, that you know that it didn't. There was nothing in private prior to what Paul describes in in the letter. Again, it's just and and then the last thing you know he says he even wrote a letter, you know, describing this. You know, it's very public, you know, very you know trying to humiliate Peter. And and again, I mean, there's is there something that says you're not allowed to write about stuff that happened that that's publicly known? Uh, Again, there's, there's no such, no such law. There's nothing in Torah. There's nothing in anything Jesus said that that says that that was wrong. So uh, he's just trying to bring a charge that, that just has no basis, no witnesses, uh, nothing to support his claim. All right. Um, So the third point, Paul doesn't turn the other cheek, but curses his oppressors. So this is that, that he is, uh, and again, I don't think he, he talked too much about this. I don't have a, a clip for it. But he says uh, when he, you know, Justin doesn't really elaborate much. Um, but, you know, okay. So apparently he thinks turning the other cheek means you never curse your oppressors. Okay, well, uh, let's go back to Matthew. Uh, let's go to Matthew 23, and we'll see what Jesus thought about, you know, cursing, uh, cursing people uh, that, that oppose you. So Matthew 23, verse 13, says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven before people. For you do not enter nor permit those wanting to go in to enter. "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around the sea and the dry land "'to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. "'Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, "'but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. "'Fools and blind people, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold holy?' And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it is bound by his oath. Blind people for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift holy. Therefore, the one who swears by the altar swears by it and everything that is on it. And the one who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And the one who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and the one who sits on it. And, Jesus goes on, um, but I'll go ahead and stop there. So, yeah, Jesus obviously thought that, uh, you know, when, when someone's against you, you never, curse your, you never curse them. Except that's exactly what Jesus is doing, literally doing. He's literally casting curses upon specific people. Again, what do you, what do you say to that? What, what kind of... You know where where does this theology comes from? Well, what comes from the fact that you want to you just don't want Paul to look good. So oh he Paul speaks against the people who speak against him. Um, have you read any of the imprecatory psalms? I mean, there's David did it too, um, and and there's and it's part of scripture. And then Jesus here, you know, and that's part of scripture. Are, are we supposed to ignore what Jesus said? Are we supposed to think that he oh he didn't really mean it? No, i mean it's again that's that's not what turning the other cheek is about i mean that that passage where does it say anything about your words you know it says it's about your actions in the face of you know of really think something that's you know hu- a humiliation that you you endure that and um you don't you don't fight back against you know silly humiliations um you, you let that person, you know, have their own sin, essentially, and you don't join in. Um, it has nothing to do with whether you oppose people verbally. Um, it has nothing to do with that. All right, uh, fourth item here, Paul calls himself a father, contrary to Messiah's teachings. So I do have a clip for this one um,
0: where he thinks this is a pretty good argument. We'll go ahead and bring it up here.
2: Calls himself a father. There we go. Contrary to Messiah's teachings. Let's go ahead and pull that up real quick. Okay. we go. 1 Corinthians 4.15. Let's get that one up. Let's go ahead and go call no man father scripture. I should pull it right up. Let's see. Here we go. Messiah says, can you guys see this? I don't know. Let's blow it up a little bit. Messiah says, "Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one Father, and He is in heaven." First Corinthians four fifteen, Paul says, "For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel." Surprise! It's not my gospel right there. Uh, so, where do you think we get this idea again? Roman Catholic. Uh, Christianity. Christianity in general, just the word Christianity. I I, I try and separate Catholic Christianity from Protestant Christianity, but ultimately, there's so much, uh, just Christianity in general has so many issues, I don't even know where to begin. Now, for those of you who may have never listened to any of my videos before, know that I trust the scriptures, the, the Old Testament, the prophets, the Apocrypha, and all the New Testament writings of the actual apostles and the Messiah, who I believe did in fact come and live a life sinless according to Torah.
0: Okay. So,
1: um, aside from the, the weird ac- anachronistic theorizing, oh, that sounds Catholic. That he, you know, that people say father, or that Paul, you know, talked about being a father uh, in the faith to somebody. You know, let's go ahead. You know, I get the feeling. I mean, you saw what he's doing there. And I have no problem with looking up a verse the way he looks up a verse. It's how I do it all the time. Um, but notice that when he looks up a verse, he reads just the one verse all by itself and and just thinks that that's sufficient. Okay, we see? It's obvious. It's right there in the, in the text. Well, you know, there's a thing called context. So let's go ahead and... That verse is found right, right back here in, uh, in uh, Matthew 23 where we were just reading about the woes it was
0: a little bit earlier in the passage. Um, here's what it says, starting in verse 5. It
1: says, And they do all their deeds in order to be seen by people, for they make their phylacteries broad and they make their tassels long. And they love the place of honor at banquets and in the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. But you are not to be called rabbi because one is your teacher, and, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone your father on earth, for one is your heavenly father. And do not be called teachers because one is your teacher, the Christ. And the greatest among you will be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So, from the context, we see that the main point Jesus is making against this is against the scribes and Pharisees, who are exalting themselves, and they're using these high titles—rabbi, teacher, father—to um, give themselves honor, when really their hearts are far from God. But Jesus. Jesus is speaking of a specific situation. He's not speaking universally that never, ever, ever did anyone call you father and, on, under any circumstances. Because um, if he did mean this to be universal, that, that this is a sin to, to call anyone your father under any circumstances, any context, then he's in violation of the commandment, um, that commandment, the, the commandment not to call
0: anyone father. Um, Because if we look at Mark Mark 10, 19, Jesus is again talking about um,
1: the Pharisees, but what does he say? He says, um, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. That's your father, your earthly father and mother. So, Jesus is okay with you calling someone your father. Um, you know, Jesus can't teach to honor your father while also saying, call no man your father, because that's what the text says. And if you want to say, well, it's called other than your, your biological father, obviously. Okay, where does the text say that? Where does the text say that that's the issue? Again, the context isn't that. That these men are not your biological father otherwise jesus would have said that the context is that they want to exalt themselves that's why he also says don't call anyone teacher and or rabbi it's the same it's the same principle so if that's what's being talked about that is what we can we can uh you know learn from the passage um you know as i mentioned before before you know False religions, false teaching teachers, they often, they take a text and just universalize it. You know, he takes that one little verse, just makes it a universal law, you know, and, and wow, amazing. Somebody, you can find someone who's supposedly violating it. Um, they, but again, he ends up, you know, having a completely contradictory uh, view of things uh, if you compare it back to you know, Jesus' own words. So... Uh, the next one we have is uh, number five here. Um, Paul taught the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And my numbers are not like related to the numbers on his list. I just they're just my numbers. But anyway, this this next item, Jesus or Paul taught the eating of food sacrificed to idols, an act condemned in the book of Revelation. So first of all, um, Paul never taught the eating. A food sacrifice to idols you'll find no teaching that says eat food sacrifice to idols do it it's it, this you know he never taught people to do it um he did teach that teach that it is not a sin to do so unless your conscience condemns you for it or you do it willingly in the presence of someone else whose conscience condemns them for eating it so it can it may be a sin to eat sac- food sacrifice to idols if either you don't have faith in in doing so, um, or if someone if if you know someone else doesn't have that faith but you go ahead and and do it in front of them. Um, those are two cases where it is a sin, but outside of that he he does say that it isn't it isn't a sin to do so, but he never teaches them that they should be doing it or anything like that or that it's a you know so again I Taught the eating of of food sacrifice to idols is a little bit strong, um, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and actually look at the the passage
0: um, in Romans. I believe it is fourteen. Yeah, so in Romans fourteen nineteen, Paul writes. Um,
1: So then let us pursue what promotes peace and what edifies one another. Do not destroy the work of God on account of food. All things are clean, but it is wrong for the person who eats and stumbles in the process. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is weakened. The faith that you have, have with respect to yourself before God, Blessed is the one who does not pass judgment on himself by what he approves, but the one who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not do so from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. So that's Paul's actual teaching. Now, how does that relate to Revelation? Um, Justin says Revelation, uh, in Revelation 2 uh, that, that it condemns eating food sacrificed to idols. So let's look... At that, so Revelation two twelve. This is in one of the the letters, um, the letter to the church in Pergamum. And it says, "Into the angel of the church in Pergamum, write this is what the one who has the sharp double edged sword says. I know where you live, where the throne of Satan is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny your faith in me even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness." who was killed among you, where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you, that you have there those who hold fast to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat food sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So likewise, you have those who hold fast to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If you do not, I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war with them with the sword from my mouth.
0: So, do you notice here the similar language, um, the uh, the similar language of putting a stumbling block before the sons of Israel?
1: He's condemning them for putting a stumbling block by eating food sacrificed to idols. Um, so what Jesus is condemning is exactly what Paul condemns. There's no there's no conflict. They are in absolute agreement and harmony. You know, it's amazing what you find when you read the context. Um, and, and again, you just you got to just look these things up. And if someone makes a, you know, this kind of argument, um, that's all you got to do. Just just read it um, and you see you see what's there. Next one is the argument that Paul says it's better not to get married like him, the Torah says otherwise, quote, it is not good for man to be alone. So once again, we do have a misquotation to try to make the point. No, Justin Paul didn't say it's better to not get married. Um, what does the actual text say? It's amazing how many times we look these up and it's like the exact opposite of what he says. He says, you know, he teaches the eating a food sacrificed to idols, whereas Paul warns about situations where eating food sacrificed to idols is a sin. Um, that's, uh, that's kind of the opposite of what, what you said there. And, and we're going to see something similar here. So uh, 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 5,
0: um, it says, uh, oh, wait, oh, I'm too far back. have the wrong, oh, sorry, it's starting in verse 6. I, I misread. Um, it says, but I say
1: this as a concession, not as a command. I wish all people could be like myself, but each one has his own gift from God. One is this way and another is that way. Now I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with sexual desire. So Paul is, is here giving his, his thoughts on that it's good if, if you're single, it's good to be single. There are good things about it. You know, he, he, he endorses it. He's, he's not saying, everyone, you must be married or, or you're violating some command of God. He, he's saying, you know, but if you cannot control yourself, you know, sexually, if you're, if you're just burning with desire... Then you should marry. And, and the only time, you know, again, Justin says it's better to not get married. The only time Paul says it's better is when Paul says it's better to marry than burn with sexual desire. So it's almost as if, you know, when when Justin was writing these things down, you know, he was it's like every time the, the phrase he uses it's in the text is the opposite of, of what he says. Um and again, we have um we have that ever-present contradiction. You know, Justin's so laser-focused on Paul that he forgets Jesus and the things Jesus
0: said. Um, you know, the, the the fact is, I mean, let me ask you, did,
1: did Jesus get married? Because if, if not, and, and if it's not good for man to be alone is, is somehow now a command um even though that's not what that's about i mean it's a yes it is about a wife but it's it's also in genesis when there was no woman even created yet um so there's there's context but jesus never got married was he violating the torah um you know of course not so you know and and jesus made his his own you know statement about you know, this sort of non-universal statement concerning family, just like what Paul did. Yeah, Jesus did that too. Um, going back to Matthew 24, verse 15. Um, this is in his the Olivet Discourse. He says, uh, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken about by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the one who reads understand then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, and the one who is on his housetop must not come down to take things out of his house, and the one who's in the field must not turn back to pick up his cloak. And woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing their babies in those days, but pray that your flight may not happen on, in winter or on a Sabbath. So, Jesus says it will be worse for pregnant or nursing women when he returns to judge Jerusalem and that it will be worse if they have to flee on the Sabbath. So since it is better if these things didn't describe you, does that mean Jesus is teaching that no one should have children? Is he abolishing the Sabbath by saying that it's, you know, oh, pray that this doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Well, maybe we shouldn't have any of those. You know, I mean, that's where Justin's logic gets us. You know, if it, this is how we can tell he's not applying any kind of consistent rules of interpretation across anything he's saying. Is that everything he's saying, that, you know, coming up with that rule does not fit. Uh, if, you keep, if you keep reading scripture, uh, it, it just doesn't fit in, in other, other places um, that are about similar things um Paul is talking about how you know it there are reasons there are advantages to being single you know in in the kingdom but being married is is better if if you if that's not you know he said he says himself one person has one gift one has another gift he's talking about different ways god has gifted people um and he's saying that there is advantages to these different gifts that's i mean he says it in a different way when he talks about the body of Christ. And one is an eye, the other is a foot. Like there's, there's different parts of the body. We're different. Um, Jesus is similarly saying that when this bad thing happens, people in different situations related to family are going to have it better or worse based on that. Um, but that's not, he's not condemning those things, obviously. So uh, again, that's just, is what we find. So that's what I have in that section. As far as, that's what, or that's what Justin said, as far as Paul violating either the teachings of Christ or the Torah. Um, and, and we see that one by one, they just, they just, none of them hold up, not one. Now, um, the next section that I will get partway through is Paul being supposedly rejected by other apostles and, and things like that. Or just or other Christians in general. So uh, it seems a lot of his argumentation is is uh, depending on this type of, of thing that he really he really spends a lot of time on it. But um and we'll get to some things as far as uh that he says here. So uh, the first one he he says James three seems to be directly teaching against Paul personally. Wow, that's a strong statement. Uh, but he never really elaborates. He never goes into James 3 and and quotes it. So we don't, the fact is I don't have to make his argument for him. Um, if he wants to try to attach any of it to Paul, he'll have to go and actually do that. Uh, and and we we'll, we can talk about it. I mean, I've read James 3. I don't see the, the connection to Paul. Nothing to refute. So uh, the next one actually is three of his points. They all kind of come together. Um, in a way, they these come together. So uh, one of them says, 1 John chapter 2 and 3 seem to warn against Paul as a false teacher. Okay, similar thing to James 3, but he does elaborate on this one a little more. Um, also, Paul taught that Messiah didn't come in the flesh, but in the likeness of flesh, a doctrine specifically stated to be an antichrist doctrine, according to 1 John 4. Oh, specifically stated. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to read that. Um, the likeness of men and the appearance as a man are how Paul describes the Messiah. So uh, we'll, we'll hear him give this argument that, 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 the, that Paul just thinks Jesus came, you know, not really in the flesh, uh, but only in the likeness. And then the other disciples did not believe Paul was a disciple in Acts 9, Uh, And we'll kind of cover that. That one will apply it to more than one. So they're all basically the same argument, though. You know, Paul is is rejected by apostles. So for this one, um, I actually go to part two. So this is now looking at his second video for the first time in this series. This is where he begins to formulate this this claim that Jesus or that, that John in his epistle
0: is, is trying to argue against Jesus. So go ahead and bring that up and you'll see what we're talking about.
2: Verse 18 through 19. And 1st John two eighteen through 19, 1st John 4, 2 and 1st John 4, 6. And finally, also 2nd John 7 through 11, We find a few criteria that are mentioned for identifying a false prophet or an antichrist figure. Shockingly, it can be noted that Paul fits into these criteria quite well. First, we have 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 19. Let me make this bigger for you guys. I noticed that last time it was a little bit small. Hopefully, you guys can read that. Okay, 1 John 2, 18-19 says, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are already many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. All right. So, first John provides the first criteria here, which is that he's referring to someone who had been among them, but separated from them, and would not continue with them. So, if you can recall, three years after Paul's apparent conversion, he went up to Jerusalem in Acts nine twenty nine through 31 Let me pull that up. And I, I'm not going to stack up.
1: Okay, so I'm going to... He, he kind of loses his reference here. I'm not going to put you through that, but he um but this if if you're wondering where the argument is it's that Paul left so that's that's what that's what he says John means when he says they went out from us cuz they were not of us is cuz you know cuz they left they went to another city um and and he goes over it you know many times um uh, in fact I will I can pull it back up. I I see where I About a minute, a little over a minute later he kind of gets back to where his argument is. So but yeah, this is this is really
0: the argument and, and I'll let him continue here. I apologize. I realize I did not bring up the video for you. Do that again. All right, here we go.
2: And yet the apostles did not believe that Paul was a true disciple. Ultimately, Paul was sent away uh, in verse 31. And regardless of what reasons you or I would like to assume he was sent away, he was in fact sent away. Uh, The second time Paul was sent away was in Acts 15, 30 through 35. Let's pull that up. Acts 30 through 35, 15, 30 through 35. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered a multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also in Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of uh, the Most High with many others also. Okay, so right after the Jerusalem council, which occurred in Acts 15, where again, the scriptures imply that there was some strife and division while Paul was there. If you recall from earlier in chapter 15, um, uh, but then after that, there was peace. So in two occasions, Paul was with the disciples, the 12 disciples in Jerusalem, and there was chaos that ensued. And we're going to see uh, more of that through this study tonight. But then after he left, peace sen- seemed to descend upon the situation.
1: All right, so what was John talking about? Remember, his, his criteria has to do with 1 John. He's, he's kind of just throwing in some of his own, again, speculations about why Paul was sent away? Well, you can't deny he was sent away. Yeah. In Acts 15, he was sent away with the letter to the Gentiles written by the the, the apostles and the elders. Like, here, Paul, take our message to the Gentiles. Yeah, that sounds like they're really rejecting him. Um, but in Acts 9, that is recounting his first time coming into Jerusalem after his conversion. So, And it says they didn't... They didn't believe he was really a disciple. Yeah, no question. He he had been killing Christians. So they had to, they took a little convincing. Um again, it's 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 really laughable, you know. But but again, what was first John, what did first John say? Remember what he said in, in the item was that, you know, this has to, you know, the he went away, you know, is that they went out from us because they were not of us. That was one of John's statements. But what do these talk about? Is that Paul and Barnabas were sent out, you know, with a message or to go reach people? It's, it's totally different context. Um, but he doesn't, you know, he does, he doesn't care. Well, you know, just you can say what you want. Well, I'm just saying what Luke says. You know, your your arguments with the scriptures, not with me. Um, okay. But then he goes on and he talks about this thing about him
0: coming in the flesh. So let's go ahead and listen to that section. All right, here we go.
2: The second criteria of a false prophet, according to John, is found in 1 John 4.2. First John 4.2. Let me close some of these tabs here. By this you know the spirit of Elohim. Every spirit that confesses that Messiah has come in the flesh is from God, from Elohim. Uh, didn't mean to do that. What was it? Uh, it was four two. I want to do four three as well. And every spirit that does not confess that the Messiah confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already okay so every spirit that confesses messiahs come in the flesh
1: okay first i just want to pause him right here um he says uh remember what he said his his argument was that uh john specifically states that the doctrine of coming in the likeness of of flesh so to speak the likeness of human is antichrist is that what John says? No. John says the one who does not confess that, that Jesus came in the flesh. You know, the one who does not confess Jesus came in the flesh. He doesn't say anything about likeness or anything like that. Now, we're going to see that that's a curious argument on its own, but I just want to make that point that, again, that's not what John specifically states, even though that's what Justin specifically states. He specifically states. All right, uh, we'll let him keep going here.
2: ...of Elohim, and every spirit that does not confess uh, is not Elohim, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, right? So many might be tempted to believe that what John was simply saying here is that the Antichrist would claim that the Messiah has not come at all. However, if you look a little bit closer... That's a we see the
1: false dichotomy. It's not... We, someone might be tempted to say that Christ has not come at all. No, you're saying that in order to try to attach this to Paul. I think that, um, John is talking about, um, the sort of proto Gnostic, you know, before there's really Gnostics, there were those kind of developed into that who did teach that, that Jesus only seemed to be flesh, but he was not, it was an illusion. He was tricking everybody. And you find that in the Gnostic gospels and things like the gospel of Judas and stuff like that as well. Um, and that this was a belief that had crept in, early and and paul and john is um opposing that Uh, but that's not what paul says Uh, but i'll let him finish up here
2: john warns that the antichrist will say that the messiah has not come in the flesh which is a very very important distinction Uh, uh let's see here it is in the flesh right very important distinction you're gonna you're gonna start to see why here in just a second Alright, so everyone knew that Yahusha, Messiah, was historically there. Even the Romans, the Pharisees, and historians like Josephus Josephus would state that Yahusha did in fact show up in Jerusalem. There was no no, uh, dispute about whether or not this character, who called himself the Son of the Most High, showed up in Jerusalem. Everyone agreed that that had in fact happened. So to claim that he didn't come at all would be pretty ridiculous, especially in that time and location, since no one was denying his arrival at the time. Instead, you see that John is specifically stating that the Antichrist would claim the Messiah didn't come in the flesh.
0: Skip ahead a little bit. Uh, Waxes for a little bit, and then this is where he talks
1: about Paul's stuff.
2: For Elohim has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son, In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The word likeness here used is Strong's 3667, which is homoima. Let's pull that up real quick. Which literally means that which has been made after the likeness of something, a figure an image, Could you guys, so you guys can see this here, representation, likeness, resemblance, such as amounts almost, almost to equality or identity, right? That which is made like something, a likeness, or rather a similitude. Additionally, it says resemblance and does not require one element of comparison to be derived from the other. Indeed, it can be wholly separated from it. So the word likeness here, when you study out this homoima word, uh, literally is a correct, it is a correct translation. It does, in fact, mean likeness. Um, So that means that this, the the writer's intent is being displayed correctly based on the Greek uh, that's available here. So that means that he's saying that the Messiah came looking like a human person but not an exact copy of a human person, not an actual human person. If Paul was truly saying that the Messiah came in human flesh, this wood would not be used. It doesn't even need to be used. Why wouldn't he just say that he came in the flesh instead of saying in the likeness of sinful flesh? It doesn't make sense. It's an unnecessary word in the sentence. He should simply say he came in the flesh.
1: All right. So I'm running out of time. So I want to finish up this section um, real briefly. So he, he goes on to talk about Philippians 2 and where it talks about there, you know, in the form, morphe uh, of man. He, he talks, you can watch his video. He talks about how, you know, it, it's amazing to me. Again, false, when, when you want to spread something false, you don't, you don't define your terms based on the text and the context and what's going on in, in what you're reading. You know, using definitions as a as a help. You know, if you look up a dictionary definition, that's all well and good, but then you have to take that and see, okay, how is this author using the the word? You know, like you know, he he read this whole thing about likeness and then said, Okay, that's what we're just gonna import in here. Does the same thing with Morphe for form, and he says, you know. You know, that's where we get our word morph, to change. So, you know, it means Jesus changed, you know, it's like, no, that's, you're getting things backwards. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're really disqualifying yourself as, a, as an interpreter of Scripture. So, once again, we heard him, he, he has to change the words. It's, he came only looking like a, a real person, but he wasn't a real person. Is that what the text said? It's right there on your screen. The likeness of what? I agree. Likeness is the right word here. Something very much like something, but not quite that thing. What is it the likeness of? Sinful flesh. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Yeah, perfect, perfect word for that, I think. Um, because he wasn't sinful. His flesh... While real was not sinful, so it wasn't actually sinful flesh. Um, Got to read the actual words in the, on the page there. Um, but, you know, the, there's a couple questions, and, and we'll finish up with this, and then we'll go to your questions. Um, if Paul is talking, when Paul talks about form, appearance, likeness, how does Paul use those terms elsewhere? And secondly, how does Paul talk about Jesus in terms of coming in the flesh? Is this the only way that Paul talks about that? Um, No, it isn't. Um, Paul talks about Jesus coming in the flesh, uh, actually, uh, without using that language. Romans 1.3, we have... he says, concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David, according to the flesh. So according to Jesus' real flesh, he was the descendant of a real fleshly human being, David. That wouldn't work if he just came in the likeness you know, of, of flesh. He wouldn't be the son of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. Again, unless he really was in the flesh. And then First uh, Timothy 3.16
0: it says, uh, oh, too fast. He says, um,
1: and most certainly great is the mystery of godliness, is talking about Jesus, who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was proclaimed among the Gentiles, was believed on in the world, was taken up into glory.
0: And, uh, you know, you um, know, That's yeah.
1: Yeah. So Paul, Paul does say that. And what about when Paul uses, you know, these terms like likeness and and form and that kind of stuff. So we, we already talked about likeness, Um, but uh, you know, what's interesting is, I mean, there's other places where he uses likeness where it's, it's not, you know, just something which isn't really that, you know, we, uh, he says in Romans six, five, we are identified with Christ in the likeness of his death. Um, you know, which you know, maybe it just refers to something inexact in in our lives and how we live, but it would be you know, actual death. Um, and then what about you know, this idea of appearance? Again, you, you do have that in in Philippians 2, uh, but it, but it's not really in a lot of other other places. He does use that term, that Greek term,
0: in First Corinthians. Um, verse 31 right where it says
1: um, and those who make use of the world as if they do not make full use of it for the present form of this world is passing away form that's the word for appearance that's the Greek, same Greek word so okay it, what is passing away just how the world looks or the actual world? You know, what is, he, what is Paul talking about? Uh, I think it, he's talking about the actual world, the way it is, is, is passing away. The present form, the form it actually takes. Again, um, Paul uses these terms multiple ways. You don't just look at a, a, an English word and, or, or even a Greek word and just go to a dictionary and think that you've, you've solved, solved all mysteries. Uh, it's just silly. Um, again, you just have to look at, for a second at the scriptures and, and you just see that these arguments are false. So the, the, whole, uh, the whole flesh thing, um, again, totally refuted. So um, that is the last thing I'm going to be able to get to today. Um, I've got a few more items, uh, some bigger ones. He makes the argument that Paul was rejected by the Ephesians and, and stuff like that. So that's going to be Really, I think that might be, even be uh, the last item on this list, though there's one other thing he talks about in this second video that's not on his list of 50 reasons, so we will have to go over that. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and go to questions, um, and we will talk about, about those things. So
0: Let me go ahead and pull things up here what we've got. Close something I didn't mean close. Right, so questions, questions, questions. Go. Right. Okay, so we've got a question, couple there from Max
1: Hyatt uh, from early in the show it says, uh, "People point to Acts fifteen twenty one saying Gentiles will eventually learn the law in synagogues. Paul repeats himself in Acts twenty one saying Gentiles observe no such thing, only these four are listed." Yeah, um, I think we talked about this. Was this? Hold on. Oh, I apologize. Looking at last week's questions <laughs> all right all right there we go so i answered that last week I'm not giving you that one again twice <laughs> okay uh we got another question though from max it says uh what are some passages that show gentiles do not have to follow kosher diet i know romans 14 we did talk about that one tonight uh first timothy 4 but they have responses to these verses saying otherwise thoughts so i mean there's going to be responses to a lot of them. I I think that when Paul says all things are clean and he's talking about food, um, there's no question what he he's referring to. Um, I did a series on the gospel and Hebrew roots movement, and uh, if you go back a little ways, and during that I did a whole deep dive through Romans and, and we spent a lot of time in Romans 14. And I think I spent a lot of time in Romans 14 on a previous episode before that for some other reason. But, um, the, you know, there's one in, in Mark where it talks about Jesus, you know, in saying this, Jesus made all foods clean. Did a video on that as well. A lot of, some people try to claim that that's added by translators. It is not, there is no textual variant there. I mean, that is what Jesus said. Um, And uh, if you if you go, well, the KJ, the King James says purged all meats. Yeah. Look, King James was written in 1611. Do you think the English language has changed a bit since then? It, It certainly has. And if you read, if you if you go and look it up, what, you know, just look up. And we did this in this video. We looked up King James English, you know, Terms and, and what are the real de- you know the definitions of these words as they were used at the time that that book was written and the the Greek word that gets translated purge the reason it gets translated purge is because it means cleansed made clean that's what purge you know that's what the English word purge meant back then um, and meat the the term we use for you know we use the term meat to talk about meat you know animal flesh you know that's what we we think of as the term meat but it wasn't always that way. It, it used to mean just all food was, was called meat. Um, so, it, you know, if you, if you just translate from the King James English into today's English, it would say cleansed all food, <laughs> you know, made all food clean. And, and make clean is, again, that's a very, very specific sort of thing to say about food. Um, and you just can't, you just cannot get around it. Um, the, the the attempts to do so, uh, there's no textual variant. There's no way that's added by anybody. That's that's in every Greek text we have of that passage. Um, and then you know, obviously, what we have from Paul. So I, I, those are some of the things you know I, I see um, related to that issue specifically, and and also just it's a it fits the general way that those ritualistic parts of the law were put in place to separate Israel from its neighbors physically, to, to show the distinction between this nation and this nation. Um and we you know and now we we do that, you know, by by faith and, and a number of other things. But um but yeah,
0: that's that's a it is a good question. Um let's see. Uh, I think the
1: oh Dustin Neely, can somebody clarify for me? Does Justin best think Paul taught docetism? I have no idea, to be honest. Um it seems that's what he's saying here, but I don't think he's really studied Paul you know deeply he's just found some proof texts that he can twist i don't think he he knows what he thinks paul actually believed um that's that's my thoughts on it
0: um all right and then i did see a little bit more yeah thought i said whoa just did a funny thing. Looking at the chat and then I wasn't looking. Apologize, guys. Back up. There you are. OK. Let's see.
1: Um, Dustin Neely question Can you crucify a ghost? Right? <laughs> no, you, you can't. But again, that's. That is. That is. I mean, who knows what Dustin even thinks that, that Paul thought. Okay, so yeah, I think that is everything in there as far as the specific questions. Next time. We are going to be talking about. Um, I know because I started digging into it, and we're gonna we're gonna refute this thing top to bottom. And that is the idea that uh, the Church of Ephesus and and churches of Asia generally uh, rejected Paul and, and and that kind of thing. That was a spends a lot of time on that, and we're gonna just look. It's it's really not hard. You just kind of look at the. The specifics and 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 there, and there you go and then i think that's the last thing as far as people rejecting paul and then there's some final uh points about paul's position on various things supposedly contradicting something else or paul being an apostle supposedly contradicting something else uh, anyway um i hope that this has been helpful for you i do appreciate everybody coming and making this a a pleasure to do no question about it and look forward to seeing you next week and God bless.
0: Thank you for listening to the beginning of wisdom podcast you can follow andrew schumacher and the ministry at beginningwisdom.org where you can find links to the youtube channel and follow on social media sign up for email alerts to never miss new content please like share and rate the episode if it has blessed you god bless and always be ready